Um, some of you were here yesterday, I think. Hope you really enjoyed Hannah with us teaching on prayer. Uh, it was brilliant to have her with us. And uh, this morning we have Tom Scrivens, who leads Hope Church in Ipswich, who's going to talk to us about confident faith. So, Tom, are you ready to go? Brilliant. I'll hand straight over to you. Let's give him a round of applause. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, you doing all right? You managed to find the venue. Well done. I felt like I had to kind of have the Bear Grylls kind of qualifications to find this place. So, uh, well done for finding it. Um, we're going to talk about confident faith uh, today. Uh, those were the two words that I was given by Tim. So I had to kind of put my spin on what do I think that means. And we're going to touch on that today. I'm going to get you talking in uh, twos and threes in just a minute. But, um, just as a little bit more of an introduction. As Matt said, my name's Tom. Um, I'm actually from this part of the world originally, very near Norwich. But now I'm based in Ipswich, which is about an hour south from here. And um, lead the team at Hope Church. Uh, and I'm on site today with my wife, Sarah, and two of our three children. My two uh, twin daughters are going to be delegates next year, which is kind of crazy. Um, so uh, we're kind of giving them a taste of New Day today. And they're already complaining it's too loud and they haven't been in the big top yet. So, um, but hopefully they're going to enjoy the day. Okay, um, who was just out of interest? Who was in the uh, session with Andrew Wilson just now? Who got to hear Andrew? Quite a few of you. That's, that's really good because I thought uh, it was really helpful what he shared. And some of the stuff he shared... I might just kind of touch upon a little bit more as well. So what we're going to do um, this morning is that we're going to talk about initially some reasons not to be confident in our faith. Um, Andrew was sharing uh, in the Big Top just now about how most of our stories are actually quite ordinary. Um, He said the kingdom of God is a lot more like yeast that goes into bread. It's kind of hidden. You don't see it. Uh, it's a lot more like yeast than it is like YouTube, which is kind of big and flashy and exciting. And he said that his story um, and his wife's story was really one of them coming to faith quite young. And then for the last 30 years, the enemy, Satan, trying to stop them by distracting them and tempting them and uh, all kinds of trials that they've experienced in their lives. Um, So he kind of touched upon a little bit there some reasons why we might not be confident in our faith because we have an enemy who opposes us. And, uh, and doesn't want us to move forward in our faith. But what I'd love you to do is just for a few minutes, um, talk about kind of as you look forward to the next, I don't know, 50, 60 years of your life, however many years God might give you, um, what are some reasons not to be confident? Okay, I just thought we'd start on a pessimistic note. So what are some reasons not to be confident as you look forward to walking with Jesus, as you look forward to uh, living for him in your life? So you, that will require you just to kind of meet some people around you uh, and just say hello. So you've got a few minutes to do that. Um, don't be shy. I've met a few people already and they all seem quite normal. Um, so, uh, so just in, in twos and threes, just take a moment to say hello and get some names. And then what things do you anticipate will kind of oppose your faith in the years to come? What, what, what reasons might we have not to be confident? And then um, I'm going to share some more just to make you even more depressed. And then um, we're going to look at a story from the Bible and then we're going to pray. Okay, that's how we're going to go about this this morning. So let's just take a few minutes to do that and then we'll come back together. Okay, let's just draw it all back together and there'll be some time to uh, talk and pray together a little bit more later as well. Um, let's just, if you feel brave enough, just to shout out one or two word uh, responses of some of the 
some of the things that you were talking about. So what, what things do you anticipate are going to oppose you uh, having a confident faith in the years and decades to come? Let's just have a few. Financial uncertainty, thank you. Sickness. Sickness, yep. Uh, we've heard people's reactions when we talk about our faith. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, if we're talking like people that are suffering or like homeless people, yep. how do we then communicate that? Yes. Gotcha. Excellent. So we've had finances, sickness, what to say when people challenge us in our faith, and even when we're speaking to those that you know, are going through a tough situation, what, what answers do we have to bring? Anyone else? Just, yep. Woke culture. Woke culture. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, when you're going through your own situation. Yep. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So personal suffering. And then how does that, yeah, how can we then say, hey, guys, yeah, come to know God, and, and they're looking in your life and thinking, okay, what, what's that going to mean for me? Yeah, excellent. Mental health issues, yeah, things that we might struggle with. Is that personally or people that we might be encountering? Both. Yeah, yeah. Great. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so climate change, things getting worse, and people thinking, where's God in this? Yeah, yeah. So big questions, yep. Yeah, church hurt, really, really, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big deal. So personal church hurt and, and beyond, we'll touch upon that a little bit. So this is really good. So you're, you're kind of well aware <laughs> already, which is good, um, that beyond this campsite, which is a beautiful, you know, that as we know, there's difficult things going on even when we're on this uh, campsite and enjoying God together. But beyond this, there is a real world, is there not, where there's going to be uh, difficult moments ahead of us. There's going to be things that uh, oppose us, some things that are going to oppose the advance of the message of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a bunch of people who don't really care, but there's a bunch of people who do really care and want to oppose uh, the gospel going out and oppose Christians having a confident faith. What we're finding, and someone's touched upon this already, is that Christians, uh, Christian values, the Christian message is more and more kind of being squeezed and ridiculed in some places. You, it's not uncommon and you probably found this if you ever watch stand-up comedians on TV or on YouTube, for there to be kind of mocking of Christianity and the Christian faith. That's, that's one level, but then there's outright kind of silencing and trying to, uh, uh, you've probably heard, no, you know, unplatform or deplatform people from uh, speaking about things that might have roots in Christian values. That's increasingly happening in a nation that used to have Christianity as a dominant force, and that wasn't necessarily a good thing at times, um, but it's no longer. In fact, it's really not. Um, you would have seen, I guess, the census that said that now 46% of people in this nation identify as Christian, um, whereas many years ago it would have been much higher than that. I, I don't really think there has been a huge decline in uh, fervent Christianity, but the reality is it's no longer cool to identify as Christian. It's no longer kind of like the done thing to say, I'm a Christian. But the real gulp moment is actually in the reality of those that actually attend church on a regular basis is 5%. Um, And, you know, church attendance, we know, is not everything. Uh, There will be some that are unwell and can't go to church on a regular basis. But that's a good indication, I think, for us that really we are very much in the minority now in terms of uh, trying to go after God with everything we have, of having a confident faith we will find that we're in a minority. 
And of that 5%, so 5% of the population of the United Kingdom, that will be heavily weighted to the older generation. Okay, so if you wanted to kind of just come and have some really encouraging facts, this is not the seminar. That's quite discouraging in some respects. And we look forward and we think, I'm facing this and all the challenges we've just mentioned, and I'm facing it as a minority. I'm facing it as someone who, you know, is not, um, my, my views are not uh, accepted as cool and as reasonable and more and more Christian values that, to be honest, uh, have been accepted f- by our culture for millennia uh, are being challenged in the last five, ten years in a big way. Things that actually have been accepted by all societies uh, over all of human history in the last ten years. Some things have been really, really challenged and it's quite a difficult time to be a Christian. There's a big change that I've noticed. Um, I'm 36 now, and I became a Christian when I was 16. And um, in the last 20 years, I've seen a big shift in the kind of challenges that face um, Christians. So when I was 16, the the kind of the big threat, as it were, the big challenge was some really old uh, kind of posh scientist guys that they they got labeled as the new atheists. Okay, Uh, you might have heard of people like Richard Dawkins and some others. They're not so big now, but their kind of thing back then was we want to show that Christianity is really unreasonable, that you can't you can't possibly believe in science and also uh, in uh, the Christian message. That's not such a big deal now. It's more that if you hold to these views, you are hate-filled. If you might hold to these particular issues on the sanctity of life or on gender or sexuality, then you are hate-filled and therefore you need to be cancelled. So that's quite challenging, isn't it? That's a different kind of thing to, hey, what you believe is really unreasonable and anti-science. Now it's, you are actually, you are filled with hatred. And none of us want to be filled with hatred, do we? we like, that's, that's, that's just, we know that's not the reality for us, but that is the accusation that sometimes can come. We're now at a point where, um, and we've touched upon this a little bit, where identity um, culture has got so confused that in quite a number of schools now, um, there are children who identify as animals. And um, I read recently in, in a newspaper of a child who's, who identifies as the moon. And, um, you know, he wants to be spoken to as if he is the moon. And um, I, I've read this article and I thought this is one of those kind of shock headlines. You know, this has happened in one school, right? And it's like, uh, you know, just a ridiculous headline grabbing thing. Uh, I shared it online and I had teacher friends of mine write to me and saying, this is happening and it's not uncommon. And I thought, what is going on? And she, uh, one friend of mine, she was telling me that there's a child in her class um, who goes to the toilet on a litter tray at home um, because they identify as a cat and they don't speak in English at school, they only meow. Um, and the teachers and the, and the parents don't know what to do. They don't know how to say, no, you're not a cat. They don't know how to do that because, listen, if there's no God, <laughs> if, there's, if there's no design, if there's no, um, if there's no kind of God has made you a man or a woman and he's put his image in you, then it doesn't, what, who's to say I can't identify as a horse? Who, who's to say that I, who's to say it doesn't matter, does it? But actually there is a foundation which we seem to have lost in this country. And that's not what I was um, wanting to speak about, but that's just, I guess, painting more of a picture of the challenges that we face in our society. And on top of that, as I touched upon earlier on, we have an enemy who, who hates us. We have an adversary, the devil, who hates us. And there may be for some of you parents who are not keen on you being here this week. It might be a reality for some of you. Um, but there is an adversary, the devil, who 
hates even more the fact that you're here this week, that you're growing in your faith and that God is speaking to you and uh, touching you. So these are some of the things we face. I mean, someone also touched upon church hurt. We find uh, in this country the, the credibility of the message uh, that we preach has been undermined in uh, recent times in some churches where high-profile um, Christian leaders have had allegations made about them and they've had to step down. And, you know, people can look upon the church and say, they haven't even got their lives sorted out, so how, why should we bother listening to what they have to say? So there's all kinds of challenges. And we could bury our heads in the sand and say, well, it's, you know, it's all going to go away. Let's just hold on until Jesus comes back. But I want to tell you today, I really believe that you can have a confident faith. I do believe that as you look to the next 40, 50, 60 years of your life, you can look ahead with confidence and you can believe that God is going to do incredible things through the church and uh, through his people in this nation and in the nations around. We, we don't have to accept that it's always going to be like this. And, you know, what I, what I shared about the UK church, less than 5% or around 5% of people who regularly attend church, the, the, the picture is more dire in mainland of Europe, where uh, that would be like that would be an amazing statistic for many nations in Europe. They'd be like, we are, we are aiming for 5% in the next few decades. So it is, uh, I just, you know, we started on a low note, <laughs> but God has got good news for us today. I believe this. I believe God can and does want us to have a confident faith. So we're going to uh, unpack a story from the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, can you turn to First Samuel and chapter 13? I want to tell you about a guy uh, who doesn't get much credit Uh, whose name is Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan, in this story that we're about to read, was about 18. Now, I've taken a bit of a liberty there because most commentators, uh, experts on these kind of books of the Bible, they would say he was either in his late teens or early 20s. So this is pretty fitting, to be honest, because this is a man who's a similar kind of age to you guys. And uh, he is the king's son. He's the son of the king of Israel, Saul, and, uh, and he later becomes friends, very good friends, with uh, David of David and Goliath fame. But before David comes onto the scene, Jonathan is seeing some amazing things happen. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to read uh, verses 19 uh, onwards. So listen in. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So there's a, there's a war going on between the Philistines and the Israelites, and the Israelites don't have a blacksmith, so that means they can't make swords. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares and their mattocks and axes and sickles sharpened. So they're, they're going into the shed, and they're taking what they can from the shed and getting these things sharpened. So they've got shears, they've got rakes, they've got all these kinds of things. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares, and we'll, just, we'll skip over that bit. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. So there's a battle coming, and only two people in the army, the king and his son Jonathan, have swords. That's not looking very good. It's kind of like what we've just talked about now uh, of like, man, there's so much that opposes us, and we look at ourselves and our natural resources, and we think we haven't got a chance. Only Saul and Jonathan had swords. Now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Mishmash. I love that name. And one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over 
to the Philistine outpost on the other side, but he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron, and with him were 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, and there's some other names mentioned there. On the side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So you just, just to set the scene, Saul the king is in hiding at this point. He is really fearful. He's been, it's been prophesied over him that his reign is going to come to an end, and he's hiding away. He's got all his men around him, and they're hiding. And Jonathan, with his armor bearer, just two of them say, right, let's go on up to this outpost of Philistine soldiers. And there's some cliffs And one was called Bozes, and the other means Senna, which literally means um, slippery and thorny. So this is like total wipeout, but it's like way more dangerous. So they not only attempt the ascent, but we're going to see what happens next. So one cliff stood to the north towards Mishmash, the other towards the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Okay, just want you to remember that word uncircumcised, a random word I know, but it's, it's important here. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearers and they say, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on up here, we're going to end you. You're going to die. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. So just picture this. So they haven't, you know, he's, they're not able to hold up a shield as they're climbing up because they've got to literally scale these cliffs with their hands and their feet. And they're very vulnerable to attack in this moment. And they're going up the cliffs with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So this is quite an incredible story. And what what happens in the aftermath of it is that Saul has some guys kind of looking out to sort of see what's happening with all the commotion. There's an earthquake and the Philistines start legging it. And Saul's out, um, kind of outpost people, they say, the, the Philistine army are running away. And so they all kind of join in the chase and they end up killing loads of Philistines, chasing them out of the area. And it's a major battle won for the people of Israel. And uh, it wasn't the end of the story. There was further battles. And obviously David and Goliath come into uh, the, the, fact that the, the scene later down the line. But this was a major battle won because of some confident faith on behalf of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And so I want to just look today at this story, at some of the, the key things that lead to us having a confident faith. Are you with me? You see where we're going. So we might not be in a, in a battle like that. We're not in a physical battle, but the Bible makes it very clear we are in a battle. It's not like a battle. It is a battle. This life that we're in, 
We've been brought into a kingdom of God. We've been hearing about this kingdom uh, this morning from Andrew. We have a king whose name is Jesus, and we are uh, in behind him as he is advancing his kingdom around the world, that every nation and people group would come to know him. Sometimes at at Christmas we um, hear the verses read from Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's what we're promised in the, in the Bible. That of the increase of Jesus' government, of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. And right at the end of that passage, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So it's God's zeal that will accomplish this. This is a sure and certain reality that the kingdom of God will continue to advance across the world. And it's God's zeal that will accomplish this. We get zealous for something, don't we? We get zealous for, I'm going to get fit. And in my case, it lasts about a week. Okay, And and God's zeal sets sets out to do something and it achieves it. He achieves what he sets out to accomplish. So this is the deal with Christianity. We don't just just follow the teachings of a, a really nice dead guy who had some nice things to say about how we're all to get along with each other. We actually, we, we belong to a kingdom, we belong to a king, and he's about something in the world that we are now brought into, that we're, we're like, I guess, we're really like the armor bearer going after John, with Jonathan, and, and Jesus being the greater Jonathan, we're saying, Jesus, we're with you heart and soul. We're going into battle. We're going to take the good news. So our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not going out and killing people, but our, we're, ta- we're taking life to people, and we're with you, Lord Jesus, heart and soul. That's the deal. We've got a a role to play in pushing back the kingdom of darkness. The first thing I want to say, though, is that we're going to pick out four things um, in this short time we have remaining. Confident faith, um, it takes action out of a place of of dissatisfaction with the way things are, out of dissatisfaction with the status quo. And um, all of the things that we were talking about at the beginning, all the things that you guys um, kind of put forward... We're to be dissatisfied with the way things are. When we look around our nation and see that probably 95% of people in this nation don't know Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, we're to be dissatisfied with that. We can allow that to kind of rise up within us and be angry about that. To say, no, I'm not okay with the way in which there are millions and millions of people in our nation who are... Um, who are captured up in sin, who are t- entangled with sin and suffering and who have no hope. Because we might go through things that are difficult and confusing, but we have a hope. And as, as Andrew said in, in the big top this morning, our big hope is the return of Jesus. Uh, the next big thing is the return of Jesus. But for many people, they're facing all kinds of entanglement and suffering and confusion and for them, it's just, well, this is all one accident, and I have no hope, got no, nothing to cling on to. We, 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 we've got to have a holy dissatisfaction that, that it's not okay for our neighborhoods and our towns and our cities and our nations to not know the gospel. We've got to take action from a place of, I am unsatisfied with this. We can 
the, the other option, friends, I think is to kind of bury our heads in the sand. And that was an option for Jonathan. Two people in Israel have swords. And there's a massive Philistine army on their, in their neighborhood. And there could have been a temptation to bury their heads in the sand. We're going to stay under this tree. And we're going to hope and hope and hope that somehow, somehow something changes. Sometimes we, we try and shield ourselves from the things that are going on. And, you know, it can be quite depressing at times. But we can, we can turn a blind eye to things. But God... I believe he wants us to be righteously angry about the things that we see. Not angry at people. Our posture is not judgment over the world. The Apostle Paul says, who is it? What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Like that's, we don't judge people outside of the church and say, how could they do such stupid things? They don't know Jesus. But we want to get angry at the, the, the works of Satan in the world where people are tangled up in stuff. We want to allow that to rise up within us and say, God, give me your heart here. Because he's grieving for the things that people are going through. There's much hurt and suffering and injustice being perpetrated in our towns and millions who have no hope whatsoever. So a confident faith takes action from a place of, of a holy dissatisfaction. And you might even want to make that your prayer. God, kind of rise up within me a holy dissatisfaction with the way things are in my town. Give me your eyes. We sometimes sing a song that's quite old now, but we say, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let's pray that in our lives. Secondly, confident faith reckons on God's favor. Confident faith reckons on God's favor. So a few years ago, a study was done on the, most, uh, the 25 most economically developed nations in the world, of which we are one. And Britain was found to be the third most pessimistic of all the economically developed nations, okay? Uh, we were just beaten by the French and the Italians. Um, so we are in, if you are British here, in your psyche, in the national psyche is pessimism, okay? It's kind of like, well, it's never really going to be uh, any good. And Ricky Gervais, some of you will know um, a comedian, he nails it when he says, Americans say, have a nice day, whether they mean it or not. Brits are terrified to say this. We tell ourselves it's because we don't want to sound insincere, but I think it's because we don't want to celebrate anything too soon. For the Brit, failure and disappointment lurk around every corner. Americans are brought up to believe they can be the next president of the United States. Brits are told it will never happen for you. So I think that's quite, um, that's quite insightful. But as, the, as Brits, we're not naturally optimistic people. But I'm not here to say to you, just be, just be optimistic. We're, we're, you know, you're, you're pessimistic, just be optimistic. Just think brighter about the future. I'm not here to say that to you today. I want us to be those that count on God's favor being with us. This is what Jonathan did. You, I don't know if you kind of picked up on what I was saying, but in verse 6, Jonathan says, let's go on over to these uncircumcised guys. Now, circumcision doesn't make you a really good fighter, okay? Just, as, just so you know. It's, there's, there's no sort of thing here that's going on where Jonathan's like, I've got some kind of superpower because I'm circumcised. That's not what's going on here. But what he's saying is, these guys do not belong to God. We belong to God. Do you understand that? For them, for the Jewish people, circumcision was a sign. We are God's favored people. We are the people of Noah. We're the people of Abraham. 
We're the people of Joseph. We're the people of Samson. We're the people of these, these people. We're the people of the heroes of the faith whom God has come through for. For Moses, for all kinds of people in their history, God has come through for them. And these people are not God's people. He, he reckoned on God's favor because he knew who, whose he was. He knew who he was and whose he was. And I, I want us to be those that have a confident faith because we know whose we are. Because we understand we are those that God has favored. We are those that God has placed his favor upon. We can understand that there are things around us that might discourage us and that might oppose us. But we can look forward when we consider that the barriers that we face are nothing compared to our God. And in Romans 8, Paul asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that's a rhetorical question. We're not then supposed to get out a notepad and start writing down the things that possibly could be against us. The answer is, 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 is irrelevant, to be honest, because anything that might try and oppose the kingdom of God will ultimately fall. And so anything that might oppose us in a confident faith, we don't have to fear because God is with us. The king is on the throne. Jesus reigns and he will go on reigning the most quoted part of the Old Testament in, uh, in the New Testament is, is from Psalm 110, where it talks about Jesus reigning until all of his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. So there was an understanding in the New Testament believers, God is up to something in the world, Jesus is, is enthroned, and one day all the nations are going to bow before him. That gives me confidence. That, that gives me confidence. It's not a, if I do this, then God might succeed. No, no, no. He will succeed, and therefore I'm running in behind the king. I'm running in behind the great captain. So I want to urge us to align ourselves with these truths. Not positive reinforcement, you know, not kind of just saying some stuff until we really kind of, you know, believe it to be true, but actually aligning our hearts with the truth that Jesus is on the throne and that he will have a people for himself from every nation and tribe and tongue. And that is a, that's a certainty. It's not an if, it's a when. And uh, friends, when we say, who, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer to that question is irrelevant because God is for us. So we can trust in him. It won't always be easy, but we don't have to accept that things will always be as they are because we have God for us. We can reckon on God's favor and we can, as William Carey once said, a great missionary from a couple of centuries ago, he, we can attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. So we want to not accept the status quo. We want to expect victory and advance because we are the people of God and he is for us. Thirdly, confident faith leads to outrageous risk-taking. Some of you you've even taken a bit of a risk by being here. Risk is simply something that exposes us to the possibility of loss. Loss of reputation, loss of finance, loss of health, maybe loss of our life, maybe loss of our freedoms. Risk is something that exposes us to the possibility of loss. And some of you have taken a risk to be here this week because, you know, people looked on and thought, what are you doing coming to this? And you might have lost out on some things. You might have lost out on friendship or reputation. But 
again, I mean, generationally, I would say, I don't know if we can count ourselves in the same generation, probably not, but my generation, and I think your generation too, are kind of encouraged to be risk-averse. Um, in churches, you might have come across the fact that you have to kind of do a risk assessment for everything. There was probably a risk assessment done for you to sit in this shed thing, right? There wasn't. Oh, okay, hallelujah. But in most of this whole event, there would have been risk assessments about what happens if a child, you know, touches this rope and then this thing comes. Everything will have had to be covered. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, health and safety and all that is okay. But we can kind of be squeezed into this mold of don't ever do anything that could expose you to the possibility of loss. And I want, as I pray in a minute, I want us to see that broken off us. This thing of I can't take a risk. Because what, what might happen if, when we, when we see that God is for us, we can take risks. We've got to dispel this myth that we, we shouldn't take risks. risks. Risks are right and necessary if we're going to see the kingdom of God advance. We're going to need to take steps of faith. We're going to need to learn to discern what God is saying to us and act in obedience to that. I'm thrilled to hear that tomorrow, and this is a great reason to come back tomorrow, you're not only going to hear from Catherine Brown, who is absolutely brilliant, but you're also going to, there's going to be some prophetic ministry as well, where you're going to be, have an opportunity to pray with people and people to prophesy. And hopefully you guys will prophesy too. But we've got to learn to listen to what God is saying and go after that and not think, well, what if, what if? But no, go, because God is with us. We're not risk takers to be heroes. That's not the deal here. It's not about proving something to someone or kind of getting the accolades Oh, he took a big risk. She took a big risk. Look how brave they are. But in terms of stepping out for what God has for you, there's going to be some risks taken. This, as we see, is in Jonathan's case, he takes a risk. It's not out of a place of boredom or out of a place of, uh, you know, trying to prove something to his dad or to earn God's goodwill, but rather provide, you know, just faith in God. Faith that if God is with us, we're going to be okay. And even if I lose my life, I'm going to be okay. That's, I think, what every Christian comes to in the end, that even if I lose my life, I'm going to, get, I'm going to gain here. I'm going to go and be with Jesus. And so the foundation of, of risk really is the promises of God. If, if, we, if we don't have a foundation of the promises of God, we, we're not going to step out in taking risks. The, the great heroes, I guess, of our faith, the ones that we often hear stories about, um, they would have had a foundation in the promises of God. Uh, you know, places like Romans 8, where you, you can just see all these incredible promises of God's uh, presence with us, his love for us, his power on our behalf, his favor on us. These are really serious promises that we've got to get our heads and hearts into. We're reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In those verses, we see all these things mentioned of hardship and trouble and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword and power and demons and all these different things. The implication of those verses is not that they will never affect a Christian. It's not that they will, a Christian will never encounter those things. It's that they, those things will not cause us to be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And that is the big thing that we need. That's the thing that actually really uh, fulfills us and shapes our lives. So don't miss the implication of those verses. We can take risks individually, and maybe even this next season of your life, there might be a risk on the horizon uh, as you obey what God is saying to you. 
Um, we can take these risks because God has made big promises to us and we need to be those uh, anchored in these promises. We can say along with Paul in uh, Romans 8 and verse 32. <clears throat> Here we go. I should have had this earmarked. Here we go. Romans 8 32. If God is for us, who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things do you you see the logic here that Paul is applying the thing that we most needed the thing that we most needed God has provided he's provided his one and only son the most precious the most precious thing he's provided for us And his son was given up for us. He was on the cross for us, bleeding and dying for us. And he's in dying for us. He has made a way for our sins to be removed from us. And in rising for us, he's defeated death itself. If God has done that and not spared his own son for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's like when you uh, have a parent give you something really generously and then later on you just ask for a Haribo but, and they say, no, you can't have that. Well, you, earlier on you gave me this incredible gift. I can, it's, just, it's just a Haribo compared to this amazing thing that you gave me. We can trust God is going to give us all that we need. That gives us confident faith, doesn't it? We can look to the cross and we can say, he didn't withhold from me from my greatest need. We're going to be those that are, f- are focused, centered on the cross, understanding I had a great need and he provided. I can trust him with every single element of my life. Whether that's a place to live, a job to work, whatever it might be, a friendship that I need, he can provide for us. And it's in this, with this in mind, we can be confident. I may lose popularity, I may lose money, I may lose my freedoms, I may even lose my life, but I will have all I need because God has provided for my greatest need. I want to pray in, in a moment that this will sink in to us let's be those that behind this greater Jonathan Jesus you know Jesus he's the greater Jonathan isn't he he went into the jaws of death for us he went and didn't go and kill but actually gave up his life this is what he did and we follow in after him he's not just got us sat on the sidelines he's got us a part to play and listen, there is, there is many, many things that he has for you to do in the years to come. Things that he wants you to play your part in. Each and every one of you. You might discount yourself on your background or your resources. He's got things for you to do to play a big part in this story. Sometimes it's just going and speaking to people. Listen, there are way more people out there who are willing to hear the news of Jesus than we give credit for. There's way more. And one of the great things about your generation is that you are a compassionate generation and like to listen to other people's stories. And so sometimes it might even just start with listening to someone else's story. And then you have the credibility to share your story. That's what it might look like for you. There might be some things in your church that you just know there's something that needs to be started here that will will really serve in the church, to serve to reach people or disciple people and God's put it on your heart for some time to just put your hand up for it there might be a moment in the days to come when you say I'm just gonna get this out there I've I've got to put myself forward for this there's lots of things that God might be speaking to you about individually final thing final key to confident faith is that 
Jonathan's armor bearer was with Jonathan heart and soul. And um, I was really thrilled to hear the interview in the big top this morning. There was a guy uh, being interviewed who's a, a professional footballer. I can't remember his name. But he was talking about the need for friendship. The need for friendship and um, how he prayed, God, would you just give me one person who can do this journey with me that can be kind of, yeah, really by my side, journeying together, venturing together. And um, my prayer for you is that God gives you good friendships. And I want to encourage you to pray for that as well. I was speaking with a young lady in our church eight months ago or so, and um, she was just lamenting the fact that she didn't really have many friendships and she felt lonely and isolated. And I said, have you asked God for some really good friendships? No, I haven't. I didn't know I could ask him for that. You can ask God for that. And you need it. You need someone who's with you, heart and soul, going after God with you. You cannot do this alone. Don't attempt this alone. You need to go together. And Jonathan, later on, we see he becomes best friends with David. And they were, it's just a beautiful friendship. And together they go on great adventures for God and they have each other's back. We need this, guys. We need friendships to go together on this journey. Okay, I'm done. I'm done, okay? Um, what we're going to do, I'd love for us to pray together. We've got a few minutes. We've got about six or seven minutes. I would love for us to pray for one another. Um, if you're here on your own, you don't know anyone else, just be brave and just say, hey, can I join in with this two or three? Um, let's just pray in small groups for each other on these truths that we've heard. And um, get out Romans 8 from your Bible and pray some of those promises over those that are... Uh, so Romans 8, you know, let's think 28 onwards, verse 28 onwards. Pray some of those, pray those promises over one another. And, and uh, in about, I don't know, a few minutes time, uh, Matt will come and... Um, formally bring things to a close but let's just spend this time praying I'd love to pray for us so I'll do that and then we'll get into groups okay let's pray Father God we thank you that you have us in on this great adventure we thank you Lord that um Lord, that we're not sat on the sidelines but that you bring us right in and I pray for my my brothers and sisters here that you would infuse them with these truths these great promises of your love for them of your presence with them and uh, I pray, Lord God, that each one will play their part in your kingdom advance. That each one will go forward with confidence because you are for them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give good friendships. I want to pray for that, Lord. Would you give each one good, solid friendships that would um, bring life and encouragement and that would bring protection and bring prayer and timely prophetic words. Pray, Lord God, for this for my friends here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together, shall we? Thank you. Go, let's get into threes and fours and let's pray together. Okay, everyone, it's uh, half past 12, so uh, we're going to close the session here. Uh, if you want to carry on talking and praying with one another, you're very welcome to do that. But very quickly, before we close, I'm just going to hand over to Nikki, who's got a quick announcement for us. Hi, I'm Nikki. Um, I just wanted to grab anybody who is, I'm pastoral team, so basically um, I feel like you kind of have fallen in a little bit of a gap between delegates and servers. Um, and so maybe some of you are feeling really well cared for in your churches and you're camping with your churches and everything's working well for you. I'm just aware that some of you may be camping on the service site and I don't know if that's all working well for you or who your point person would be. Um, so if you want to touch base with me now, I'm going to linger for a little bit. Obviously, if other stuff comes up in the next little while, next few days... Um, 
I'll say come and find me. That's really unhelpful. Uh, pa- uh, I don't know what to suggest. Pardon? Come and grab them. They'll find me. Um, but yeah, if if you want to, if so, so service site is, I guess, the ones I'd really like to touch base with, just so that I can. If you like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's okay. That's great. And if there's stuff that you want to process, I'll be here for a little bit. Is that all right? Thanks, Nikki. As I said, we're going to draw the meeting to a close, but we're back tomorrow morning with Catherine Brown. He's going to talk about leadership. As Tom said, we're going to have a team here doing some prophetic ministry as well. So it's going to be an exciting morning together. So we'll see you back here at 11.30 tomorrow. Have a great day.